Welcome to Hubbard Helps, a program that spotlights the people and organizations making a difference in Chicago. Now here's your host, Kara Hernandez. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. May is Stroke Awareness Month. Every year, more than 795,000 people in the United States have a stroke. About 185,000 strokes, nearly one in four, are people who have previously had a stroke. Here to talk about the signs of stroke and what steps you can take to prevent a stroke is the medical director of the Comprehensive Stroke Center at Rush University Medical Center, Dr. James Connors. Hi, Dr. Connors. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. This month is Stroke Awareness Month. How common are strokes and how has that changed over time? So unfortunately, strokes are quite common. Um, About every 40 seconds, someone in the U.S. has a stroke and Every three and a half minutes, someone dies of a stroke, making it the fifth leading cause of death in our country. Um, some good news is that the stroke rate has been declining overall in adults 75 and older. But on the flip side, the bad news is that the numbers have been rising in younger adults, so patients under 50. And this is um, specifically in the South and the Midwest. How fast do you have to act when someone is having a stroke, and why is time so important? Yeah, so besides it being a leading cause of death, it's also the number one cause of disability in our country, and that's because every minute that goes by of an untreated stroke, you lose close to 2 million brain cells or neurons. Um, And so that's why it's so urgent to be able to try to treat someone uh, as quickly as possible. The earlier that we can stop that stroke um, by getting the brain cells the oxygen and nutrients that they need, really the greater the chances that the patient will survive and hopefully have a full recovery. Um, you know, our, our real goal in that therapy is to try to have patients walking out of the hospital and then trying to return to their lives. What are hospitals doing to treat stroke patients faster? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. So stroke centers, um, like here at Rush, we use clot-busting medications to try to restore blood flow to the brain. And sometimes for large strokes, we even need to perform a surgical uh, procedure to remove a a large blockage. Um, The key, though, is really having a stroke specialist make the diagnosis quickly and then decide on that necessary treatment, as sometimes patients can present with symptoms that may or may not be a stroke. So that diagnosis is is really key early on. Um, We're constantly working on our what we call our stroke systems of care um, to expedite that diagnosis and treatment. Um, and besides doing that in our own emergency rooms, we have a telestroke program where we can partner with hospitals throughout the region, including um, hospitals within our own system like Rush Oak Park and Rush Copley, but also multiple other hospitals um, in the Chicagoland area to ensure that that rapid diagnosis and treatment um, happens as quickly as possible. Um, and we do this by being able to use telemedicine and bring our stroke specialists to the bedside of the patients within minutes. Um, what I can just describe exactly what, what happens is that as soon as the patient arrives in an emergency room, um, the ER doctor there, if uh, telestroke is, is an option, they can notify the stroke team. And then the stroke specialist can really be, they said, at the patient's bedside within minutes. And then on telemedicine, um, we can examine the patient, review their CAT scan, um, and then really help them determine what the best treatment plan is. As I, as I mentioned, usually that involves getting the clot-busting medication at that hospital, but sometimes for those large strokes, it may involve transferring a patient to uh, a more comprehensive uh, stroke center where we can perform that procedure that I mentioned. Um, 
But all that said, we can't really do our jobs and get patients treated as quickly as possible unless patients get to us in time, which is why stroke recognition is so important. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question. How can I tell if I'm having a stroke or if someone I'm with is having a stroke? Yeah, and that's, that's really important. So we tend to use um, an acronym called BFAST. And first of all, any, any change in somebody's neurologic function, if it's an acute change, that, that could be a sign of a stroke. But BFAST kind of uh, walks you through those possible different pot, uh, changes. So the, the B stands for balance. So can the person sit upright? Can they walk in a straight line or not? Um, the E stands for eyes, so does the person complain about blurry, double, or loss of vision. F stands for face drooping, so you can ask um, the person to smile, or you can look in the mirror and smile and see if one side of the smile is drooping. The A is for arm weakness or numbness, um, particularly, again, one side of the body. Um, you can ask the person to lift both arms and does one arm drift downward. Um, S stands for speech, that is slurred or difficult to understand, so just basically asking the person to repeat a simple sentence so the words come out clearly. Um, and then T, it's time to call 911. So if, if the, you show any of those signs or if the person that you're evaluating shows any of these signs, just call 911 immediately because, as we mentioned, it's, it's so important to get um, to medical attention as soon as possible. Has COVID-19 caused more strokes or more concerns about strokes? Yeah, so certainly the COVID-19, we're, we're still learning about it, even um, two years into this. Um, but there certainly has been an association with an increased risk of um, clotting, both in the venous and arterial systems. Um, and so this certainly then includes an inc increased risk of ischemic stroke. Um, we've seen this both early on um, in somebody's infection, but also even um, up to a couple weeks after they've recovered from the, the uh, typical COVID symptoms that one would think of, we've seen patients presenting with clotting and stroke. Um, I should also mention there, there's been a lot of um, significant amount of concern around clotting with the vaccine. However, what hasn't really been mentioned is that the risk of clotting is significantly higher with COVID than after vaccination, um, where we've only really seen very rare cases. This is Hubbard Helps on Hubbard Radio Chicago. I'm Kara Hernandez. May is Stroke Awareness Month, and today we're joined by Dr. James Connors, the medical director of the Comprehensive Stroke Center at Rush University Medical Center. Are people with some immune-related diseases more susceptible to having a stroke? Yeah, no, definitely. So um, immune-related diseases can certainly um, certainly increase the risk. Um, things like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. Um, there is a higher risk of what we call thromboembolic diseases or thromboembolic events where there's uh, clot forming within the blood vessels, um, and this certainly can lead to stroke. It's likely due to circulating antibodies that are in the patient's system. Um, and really the, the best thing for these patients, um, the way to address this risk is by managing the, uh, and using the types of medications that are just used to treat that basic illness to begin with. Um, also, of course, if they have the more common risk factors, so those being um, the number one risk factor for stroke being hypertension or high blood pressure, but then also um, things like diabetes, high cholesterol, obesity, and smoking are major risk factors. And then certainly a sedentary lifestyle um, is a risk factor as well. And so these are all things that, that really need to be addressed. Um, you know, unfortunately, many of these risk factors are becoming more common among younger and middle-aged adults, which is why we're seeing that stroke incidence in uh, this population on the rise, as I mentioned earlier. Would you mind just even for me or if anyone who doesn't fully understand, can you describe exactly what a stroke is? Sure. So 
strokes occur when anytime that there is a lack of blood flow up to a certain region of the brain. And so this can either occur if there's a blockage in the blood vessel or if there's a rupture of the blood vessel. And what happens is that um, any of the brain tissue that is uh, being supplied by that blood vessel then gets starved of oxygen and nutrients, and then those brain cells die, and that's what, that's what causes a stroke. And so that's why strokes can present in so many different ways is because it really depends upon the blood vessel involved um, and the region of the brain that's involved. What can be done to prevent a stroke? Sure. So, you know, most strokes, um, you know, really what we look at is somebody's risk factors for having a stroke. Um, And there are those very common risk factors that I mentioned um, already, the things like controlling high blood pressure, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, stopping smoking if you're a smoker, um, you know, and then trying to live that healthy lifestyle, Um, working with your primary care physician to control those health conditions. Uh, is incredibly important. So, you know, that healthy lifestyle would include that healthy diet and getting regular exercise. Um, Say we also, there are um, things like uh, stroke um, scales that people can look at to determine what their risk is. We have a rush stroke prevention clinic um, where you can actually assess your risk factors and then try to come up with um, an individualized plan for stroke prevention. So, you know, I think a lot of good work is being done uh, on that front. But you know, as we said, it's, it's always better to prevent a stroke in the first place than to try to have to treat it emergently and then deal with the possible long-term effects. What happens after someone has a stroke, and what is Rush doing to improve stroke treatment? Yeah, so um, after that initial emergency phase of a stroke, so as I mentioned, where we're trying to evaluate the patient, determine if they need clot-busting medicine, or first determine are they having a stroke or is it something else that's going on, um, like a seizure or a migraine, um, so determining that they're having a stroke, determining if they get the clot busting medicine or if they need that procedure that I mentioned about, you know, trying to remove a blood clot. Once we get through that emergency phase, um, then we, you know, um, you know, patients get admitted to the hospital and we work on determining what was the cause of the stroke and then how, you know, what do we have to do to prevent you from having another stroke? Um, we also work with our therapists and rehab physicians to put patients on that path to recovery. Um, and I mentioned besides those basic risk factors that we discussed, oftentimes we'll find other possible causes um, of the stroke. Um, and sometimes, uh, depending upon what that is, it might even take a multidisciplinary approach to prevent another stroke. So a good example is um, many of our patients um, might have uh, a stroke due to some sort of cardiac condition, whether it's an abnormal heart rhythm or a structural abnormality. And in those instances, um, we... Uh, pair up a stroke neurologist with a cardiologist to see patients in a clinic um, to really work together um, to see that patient together and, and then go out and figure out the best treatment plan going forward. Because um, we know really every, every patient is different, every stroke is different. And so by trying to group the necessary specialists together, we can then create that treatment plan that's you know, more personalized and, and thus more effective. What do you want people listening to know about having a stroke? Yeah, no, I, I think we touched on a lot of the things. I'd say that in addition to um, trying to recognize a stroke, I think it is always important um, to try to um, determine what time the symptoms started because, as I mentioned, some of our, our therapies are time-dependent, and so that's going to be a major question that gets asked of you um, if you show up in the emergency room. Well, when did these symptoms start, whether it's you or, or, or your loved one that you brought in? Um, and, you know, just knowing that, you know, when you call 911, they should be taking you to a stroke center 
Um, there's different levels of stroke centers, but um, oftentimes, um, depending upon what region you're in, the EMS can even figure out which is the best place for you to go to, whether you need to go to a primary stroke center where they're able to offer um, the basic therapy, the clot-busting medicine, or a comprehensive center um, where we're also able to do those thrombectomy procedures and everything else. So um, just having that knowledge, knowing that, you know, again, what is it that you need to try to remember and record um, as you're coming in, and then making sure that you're going to a uh, stroke center is really important uh, to get the adequate treatment. Thank you so much, Dr. Connors, for talking to me today and giving us information about strokes. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I, I hope that we're able to increase stroke awareness. Our guest this morning has been Dr. James Connors, Medical Director of the Comprehensive Stroke Center at Rush University Medical Center. That's our show this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Kara Hernandez. Hubbard Helps is powered by Hubbard Radio, making a difference in Chicago.